through 10. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Again, the text is verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Pastor Devonshire, would you pray please? Amen. Praise God. Well, today I went into this haircut joint. And she asked me about the deal on there. They have notes that if you're a regular customer, what your preferences are. And I said, yes, I don't want that hedgehog special. <laughs> we need to leave it a little longer. And, uh, she went to whacking away, and I said, Lord, what in the world? But it was too late. <laughs> Next thing I know, it was all gone. And she asked me along the way somewhere, would you like me to trim those eyebrows? I said, no. <laughs> By the time she got done, I said, thank God I didn't unleash her on my eyebrows, because I wouldn't have anything there either don't have much to start with, so pray for me. I don't always look like this. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm going to look good going in this conference, not going to take too much off. I'm going to go in there with some hair, you know, and not, not let them cut it too short, but like I said, it was too late. So here I go into conference, no hair, Brother Craven. It's just you and me and Jesus, brother. And Brother Whip. It's all right. It cuts down the wind resistance as you, as you walk. So there are some advantages to it. <laughs> Praise God. And I know I don't look 20, so don't listen to these liars over here. They're supposed to be Christians, but they lie sometimes like that. <laughs> I know. Don't talk to me. God, you got to talk to God, brother. 
Anyway, it's good to be here. But in this letter to the church in Ephesus, which you may know already is a city in western Turkey, an ancient city, nothing there now but ruins. But there was a church there at one time, and this Bible book is addressed to the Christians there. Four times the Bible mentions heavenly places. One would be Ephesians 3.10, and then the next 2.6, and 1.20, chapter 1, verse 3. I especially like chapter 1, verse 3, that said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's a really good one. But I want to draw your attention to a few things. Number one, God revealed the existence of the heavenly places. This is something that was not known until the epistles of the New Testament were written. The mystery was unveiled. You may recall that there's a book in the Bible called the book of Revelation. And the revelation, that word that's used there, is from the apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. That God wasn't just revealing something in the Bible, but he was like an artist that had made a wonderful work and masterpiece. And you go into the place of display and there's a covering over it. And the artist takes the end of it and pulls it away and unveils the masterpiece. The first part of chapter 3 here is dedicated to letting all Christians know that God was unveiling a masterpiece, the masterpiece of His divine plan, things that were never known by men before. It was all cloaked in mystery and shadows because God was not ready to reveal it to mankind. Amen. He didn't want a man to know about it just yet, but then he revealed it and instructed that his word be spread everywhere. And he called it a revelation. Paul the Apostle said, God gave me the mystery, the thing that has been hidden through all generations. He revealed it to him and gave it to him that it might be spread everywhere that all might know. He is the mystery man. Let's call him that. (laughs) That's that guy in the blind dating website, right? No. That may be your mystery man, but not my mystery man. I'm trying to turn this up, Reverend Devonshire, but something's not working. Yeah, okay. Okay. I'm ripping my throat out up here. I don't even know if they can hear. They may be just looking at me and I'm going. (laughs) I'm make sure that you hear something. Whoa. Let's not peg it. You see, preachers have to hear themselves. It's not just because they like to hear themselves talk, but because you tear your throat out. Anytime you talk to a preacher who says, that means they preach without being able to hear themselves all the time. You should never lose your voice. But I want you to look at this word here, this revelation. It means more than something that is revealed, and it means 
more than a manifestation of something or even the unveiling. But a deeper examination of what it means is that it lays bare the truth. It makes the truth open and naked for people to see. A disclosure of truth or instructions. It is about especially concerning things that were before unknown. And Paul spent the first part of this chapter saying that God revealed this to me, and it wasn't known. It was a mystery that God had never made known, but he gave it to me to make known to the world. And he said in uh, verse 3, By revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Let's go back before the parentheses and leave that out this time. He made known unto me the mystery which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Talking about this mystery man, the man that God gave the mystery to. He unlocked it. He laid it bare. He said, now your ministry is all about making known this ministry or this mystery. Let's rewind that a little bit in case you weren't listening right there. God told the Apostle Paul that his ministry was not, you're going to write the New Testament or something like that, or you're going to have to be blind and then be healed, or none of that. That wasn't what he told him about. He said, what I've called you to do is to take the unveiling of my mystery that I have kept hidden And I want you to make it known to all people. And it was especially relevant because until that point, the Jews were the only one that had any rights to it. But he said, this isn't just for the Jews. This isn't for the Hebrews only. This is for people of all nations, all tongues, all races of the earth. This is for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And that's all there is. For only this gospel is able to save those that are lost. So we could call him kind of the mystery man. And when he revealed the mystery, he revealed the beautiful handiwork of God. He said in verse 6 that it was that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. What does that mean? It means so that the people of the earth could also be part of God's inheritance. Amen. The people, Gentiles, means non-Jewish people. That's the mystery, that it wasn't going to be just for God's people in the Old Testament. But that with the coming and the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the truth, salvation, the blood of Jesus would be available to anyone that wants it. He said, I was made a minister of this, in verse 7, and the grace of God was given unto me according to the effectual working of God's power unto me who am the least of all saints. Is this grace given? Here it is. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. That means they couldn't find out for themselves. He said, I'm going to preach it among them who are unable to search this out for themselves. It wouldn't be on YouTube or anywhere on Facebook. And to make all men see 
What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ? What was the result of God making known these things? Verse 10, to the intent, that means this was God's intention. This was why God was making it known that un, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, and we read all that, but let's break it down to what it actually is saying. That the church might know, that all Christians might know the manifold, that means have many parts, the many, many layers, the manifold wisdom of God than that all the details of the greatness of God's plan for the salvation of the world would be known. The rescue of all who would come to Christ would depend upon the making known of this mystery. Even, he said, the details about principalities and powers in heavenly places, which God created and then finally revealed. Now maybe you doze through a little bit of that and you're kind of lost in some of the minutiae here, but let me explain something to you. It said the principalities and powers, that even the extent of the principalities and powers would be made known to the church. That he would reveal to us that there are heavenly places and heavenly powers, things that were not known during the time of the Old Testament, that he would reveal these things, details about it. And I want you to notice that it does not say spiritual wickedness in high places or that God wanted the church to know about Satan's power or principalities like the principalities of darkness. Principalities means like principals of the school who have all kinds of power and you're scared of because you don't want to get caught doing whatever you do. Principalities are people who are in principle. They are in principal positions or primary positions. They have power. They're the headmaster, the principal of the school. God said, I want to reveal to the world, to the other people of the world, that there are heavenly powers, what they are, who they are, who has this power, and what it's about. Amen. In fact, and when John received the revelation from God, how many of you read Revelation before? Good. If you haven't, you should read it. It's awesome. One of the first things he does is take John into the throne room and shows him the throne of God and all the things that are going on in there and what kind of church they have in heaven. Man, they throw things. They roll on the floor. They really have church there. Amen. It's a good church service. And they cry out and they praise God. They do all kinds of things. But God revealed this. What did he reveal? The seat of all power. After the resurrection of Christ, he then sat down at the right hand of God. And God the Father said to him, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies your footstool. I'm going to bring them down under your feet, all your enemies. This is the seat of all power. 
Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples right after he rose from the dead. He said, Behold, I have all power in heaven and in earth. Praise God. All power in heaven and in earth. Right after he rose from the dead, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Teach them to observe what I said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Hallelujah said, you go and preach, you go and teach, you go and baptize, and you're going to do it. You're going to do it because I have all power in heaven and in earth. Which he was saying, before he went to the cross, he said, now it's time for the prince of this world, referring to Satan, now it's time for him to be thrown out. And I'm going to, if I be lifted up on the cross, I'm going to start drawing all men unto me. Now it's time to preach. Now it's time to let them know there is power in heaven. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and has all power. He took it away from the devil. Satan does not have all power. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Praise God. Let me read some more. In Ephesians 1.15, he said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And he said, I want the eyes of your understanding, not your physical eyes, but your understanding to be enlightened. Why? He said, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. He said, I want you to know about this, so you know that he has all power, that in the heavenly places, Jesus is seated in the seat of power, and that power is toward us, and that power is working in us. You see, when you don't know this, when you don't know this, and you may know it as a static fact because you heard it or read it somewhere, but when you don't really know it, you don't put it to work for yourself. You don't pray. You don't get what you need. You don't get saved. You don't get the Holy Ghost. You don't get deliverance in the battle. You just continue being a weak, sickly, battle-stricken, tired Christian, ready to give up, in and out, can't make up your mind, because you don't really know what I'm telling you tonight. If you realize the power that is on your side, you stop making excuses. If you realize the power that is on your side, you jump out there and you'd whip the devil instead of being the devil's whipping boy. If you understood what I was talking about, you'd realize that he don't have anything on you. There's nothing he can do to you. Jesus said, nobody can pluck them out of my Father's hand. 
I've got you, Jesus said. And nobody's going to defeat you. Like the song said, I'm standing there, I'm seated in Jesus Christ, and I've got every battle underfoot. Every enemy has been defeated because I'm in God and God's in me. And this is the power that he's talking about. Verse 20, the power that he wrought in Christ. What does that mean? Wrought. You ever heard of wrought iron like a a railing on a porch? It means that the iron was worked and twisted. It means worked. He said that this is the power that was working when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's quite a bit of power, my friend. It raised Christ from the dead without sin, justified in the Spirit, and now he's being preached unto the Gentiles. Why? Because he has all power. It said that power, when he raised him from the dead, he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. God raised him from the dead. He ascended up on high. He sat at the right hand of God, and God gave him power over all things, and it said that he is seated far above. Now, the Satan is principality and power in the realm of darkness, but where Jesus is in the seat of true power, he's far above. All principality, all the kings of the earth, all the politicians, all the police force, everybody with authority. His authority and power is way, 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 way greater than any earthly person. Amen. Man, make a dead man shout. That almost make the devil happy. And have put, God put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The last thing I want to bring to your attention is the power of the believer. It was God's power that saved us. And he made that clear. He said in two, chapter 2, verse 8, Ephesians, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to brag about. The only thing that saved us was the grace and the mercy of God. But he did it by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the day that you asked Christ into your life and he came in, if you were sincere and you really got saved, that same power that raised Christ from the dead came into you and it raised you from the dead. And instead of being a walking, flesh-eating zombie, you became a spirit-loving, Holy Ghost-filled Christian. In Ephesians chapter 2, just a little bit more. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I like to give you a lot of scripture. It said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. That's walking zombies. We were alive, but we were dead in our sins. He hath quickened us together with Christ, meaning now we really are alive. By grace are you saved. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So what is that? That's that seat of power. Far above all principality and power, if you're in him, that's where he is. If he's in you, then that's where you are. You may be in this world, but Jesus said, even though my children are, not, are in this world, they're not of this world. And I pray, Father, that you keep them from the evil that is in this world. Because they may be here, but we're really somewhere else. You may be a citizen of this country or that country or a U.S. citizen by birth, but a Christian has U.S., I mean not U.S., but heavenly citizenship. Paul said we are now citizens of the new Jerusalem. That's where God lives. So after I heard of your faith, I pray God would open your eyes that you could be enlightened and you could know all these things because there's a power working toward us who believe. It is in us. It's from above. And they said it's according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ. The power on display is the power that raised him from the dead. The power on display is the power that set Christ at the right hand of God. God's power is at work tonight. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, he said in verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Created, when you've been recreated, you start doing good stuff, and you stop doing the bad stuff. Amen. Oh, amen. Well, that's, that's not a popular doctrine, but I preach it anyway because it's the Bible. If we're not changed, we're still estranged. We're his workmanship, and God is at work in you. Isn't it funny how people have those bumper stickers, you know? You seen those bumper stickers that said, pray for me, be patient, something like that. God's not finished with me yet. And you want to say, well, good Lord, when is he going to get finished? When are you going to stop sucking those cigarettes? How long does it take God to do a work in you? Because God has all that power and he can't uproot that trash. That's not what it is. People don't want their trash uprooted. They like being sinners and calling themselves saints. That's not right. If we're not saved from sin, Jesus didn't even have to come down here and bother. He could have just said, well, if I go down there and die for them, they're still going to be sinners. So they're sinners now. Just leave them sinners. They're good to go. Give some, give some grace. No. He came down here to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave so that he could live in you and me and conquer sin in our lives. We don't need AA to quit drinking. Amen. An AA person goes to the meeting and says, what's the difference between a drunk and alcoholic? The drunk doesn't have to go to the meetings. He has to stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic. I've always been an alcoholic. I always will be an alcoholic. I don't know. I've never been to one of them. I know that Jesus, Jesus saved me from drinking without the meeting. And without withdrawal symptoms. When I got saved, I threw it all away gladly because something real happened right in here. Did you hear what I said? 
That's salvation, not justifying that mess, but standing up and repenting and walking away and getting rid of it and cleaning up your life and living for God and the power of God. As the Bible said, we are kept by the power of God through faith. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? To the intent that now, even under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Do you know something else his power did? It blasted open the door of heaven so that we could have access by his spirit. Access. Wait a minute. I have access to God? That's right. We have access to God. That means we can get to him. We can find him. We can go in where he is and pray to him and meet him. When we need him, we can talk to him. And he's always listening. Whether you hear anything or not, it doesn't matter. God is always listening to what you say to him and what you say to others too. We have access with boldness. You know what boldness means? That means you don't have to go to your dad and say, Dad, can I please have a cookie? You don't do that. You go in the fridge, you fling the fridge open, you grab the cookies, and you start gobbling them, right? Come on now, neighbor. That's what you do. When I was a kid, man, I'd go in the fridge on a hot summer day, and I'd grab that gallon of milk and tip it up like that. Put it back in the fridge. I didn't care who else came along. Because I was at home. This was my house. It was mom's house, but it was also my house. There was no dad there, but mom and me lived there, and I could go in there because what was hers was mine. And she, I knew that. We understood that. I belong to her. And when you're a child of God, you don't have to beg God for a bunch of stuff. You just walk right in there with boldness. We have access to him. You can go right in and say, God, I need something right now. I need you to help me with this. I need you to provide that. I know I maybe I haven't been thankful enough, but thank you, Jesus. I need a blessing. I need a miracle. And it's up to you and me to, to realize what is there, the power of God, and go and get it. Why don't you stand and worship him tonight? Don't we'll stop right there. Turn this service to Pastor Dempsey. All you got to do is go walk in by prayer. Tell God what you want, and you can have it. There's nothing stopping any of us. God bless you. Need something from God? You need something from God? The altars are open. Come get what you have need of. God's already spoke to you. He's dealt with you. Now's the time to come and get what you have need of. Come seek him tonight.